I'm going to hold. Can I that. respond to this? Because yes, was, go ahead. There, well, there was some unusual comments in there. Um, well, <laughs> where, where to start? Welcome back to Cricket Central, a weekly podcast where we discuss all the big stories and many of the small ones. I'm Ted Wayne Jarvis, and with me, as always, are Pearson Lynch and Ethan Krabs. Uh, Pearson, uh, I know uni started again for you this week, but that's never stopped you from watching a lot of sport in the past. Um, so I expect uh, no less this week. Yeah, I mean, there's been a bit less sport consumption, but also because there's a bit less on this week. Now that the Australian home summer is finished, and that it took till today till the South Africa series or South Africa's second test started. There's not been too much to watch, but I'm still up to date on all the main cricketing news, I think. Very good. And uh, Ethan, uh, you've recovered from your surgery, have you? Able to eat hard foods again now? Yeah, I'm almost there. I'm, I'm sort of half able to chew properly now, but my, my facial swelling's reduced, so I'm now more confident going out in public, which is, which is always good. <laughs> Very good. And we've got our uh, subcontinent correspondent, Navod Senenyaika, uh, my second attempt at saying your name, hopefully a bit more successful. Um, but, it was better uh, than last time. Very good. But he's back again, but live um, from his isolation room in Canberra at the moment. Uh, what, what's happened, Navod? Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, had a bout of COVID. So I'm currently isolating uh, for my seven days. Um, so if you hear any little coughs occasionally, that's just me in the background. So ignore that. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, uh, I, you know, my symptoms disappear after a few days and I'm able to exit, uh, isolation and watch some more cricket. Mm, they're, they're channeling half of the Sri Lankan team. It seems they all seem to have got COVID in the last few weeks. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know. Hasaranga as well. He's, he's had COVID twice now back to back. So. I think he's still right? in Australia. Yeah, he's still isolating in Australia. I think he's in Melbourne now because he uh, tested positive just before the Canberra T20. Uh, and then obviously he had to stay in Canberra while everyone else moved to Melbourne. Then he moved to Melbourne intending to take the flight back with the squad uh, to India uh, for the current series and then tested positive again. So he's still in Melbourne uh, in a hotel somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that is very unlucky. And now I've been seeing you on many of Pearson's stories uh, savouring the surprisingly busy Canberra nightlife. Uh, did that have anything to do with you catching COVID or how did you catch it? Uh, look, yeah, it might have. Uh, I have no clue where I caught it because all my classes, start, I've started university just like Pearson and a lot of my classes have had COVID as well. Um, yeah, different things here and there have had COVID. I've been there, so no idea where I got it from, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's no good. Hopefully uh, you recover fairly soon. Now, um, Ethan, you're the only Victorian on the podcast today because I'm in sunny Wollongong um, at the moment. Well, actually, no, not, not so sunny. It's been raining um, since I, I got here, basically, last Saturday. Have you guys in Canberra had similar things with the rain? We've had a mixed bag weather-wise. Some days it has. I think yesterday was not great. Same with Wednesday. But previous days have actually been quite pleasant. It's still unerringly hot. The sun is quite unabating in Canberra. So I bought a second fan just to cool myself down. <laughs> it gets hot up here on the Must fourth floor nice. of the residential two, hall. Two fans. Wow. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Master no, stroke. <laughs> yeah, the rain's been. Yeah, to be fair, Navon had a whole AC unit last year, so it's yeah, last year. Then I, then I realized it wasn't really practical, so I, I got rid of it. It was also <laughs> forbidden by the hall. But is this one of the ones? Hopefully, hopefully, no one running the hall watches our podcast, otherwise, they're going to kick you out. <laughs> Navon, oh, wow, <laughs> hopefully, not. Big things are unearthing here. Wow, was this one of the ones <laughs> you like connecting the window somehow? And like, I, I saw them, yes, that, that yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. I've never known how they exactly work, but uh, yeah, impressive stuff. But yeah, it is hot here also, much more than Melbourne. You're lucky to be in Melbourne, Ethan. Anyway, it's uh, without further ado, it's time to, to turn our ears um, to the people again for our, our Vox Populi segment. Um, and first off, there's, there's been a bit of debate on Instagram um, about a call made by Tushar last week um, that Coley was um, the greatest white ball batsman of all time. Um, we discussed it and, you know, sort of pretty resoundingly agreed that he probably was. Uh, but 
on our story, we've, we've had a different result. We had 40, only 43% um, agree that he was and 57% say no. Um, and one of those people who disagreed with the idea was Navod himself. Uh, ex explain yourself, Navod. No, no. Uh, <laughs> who, who would you say is the best? Yeah, I've been, I've been put on the spot here. Yeah, yeah. Apart from the Sankar. Yeah, big, big, big searchlight just on, right on me. Um, <laughs> look, um, yeah, you know, now, now that I'm thinking about it, he probably is. <laughs> Yeah, I probably accidentally <laughs> pressed it. Who knows? <laughs> no, 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 maybe maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe my decision argument. was yeah, maybe my decision you know, was I could make an probably, argument uh, Sangakara. Yeah, that's Sang right. If you well, want Sangakara, yeah. you can shop him in. Well, and yeah, Sangakara may well yeah. challenge him. Tedulka, yeah. Uh, maybe Tedulka's my decision probably was probably the only person I'd be willing to Right. Maybe. Maybe my decision was probably influenced by Coley's recent sort of lack of form. Mm. Maybe that's why, but you know, he has obviously hasn't really hit runs or significant runs in the last uh, couple of years. So maybe that's why. But yeah, I guess his long term record is pretty pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. Good recovery, Navod. Well done. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Navod. But um, no, I did I did do a bit of looking after all this, and someone who a lot of people were saying, including Vast Ship, the uh, founder of this podcast. Um, those AB de Villiers. Um, so I had a look at a few stats on them, and in ODIs, uh, Coley's average is 58 with a strike rate of 92, um, and compared to AB with an average of 53.5 and a strike rate of 101. So fairly close there, um, but Coley does have 3,000 more runs um, in just 30 more games. Uh, and then in the T20s, that's where Coley really uh, is pretty unbeatable uh average of 51.5 uh and a strike rate of 133.7 compared to ab with only 26.1 um and 135 you know the highest average of anyone is you know better for a long time but i think you can make an argument that maybe there's been more damaging batsmen on their day than coley um like maybe a gale or an ab or something like that but i think the longevity has to go with guys that 51.5 average that's incredible for t20 mm -hmm. yeah anyway moving I on i was surprised actually by um ab I, I did the same i had a look at um his his stats during the week because he was a name that came into my mind and for someone who's such a big ipl name i was surprised his t20 record was mm. so poor um and especially he's sort of on, on par with Coley Cole and odi i think it's one of the only people who averages more than 50 with a strike rate above 100 i think the only other name, possibly, if you're looking a bit before the T20 era for, for white ball greats, is probably Vib Richards. Um, I think he, he was well, well above his time and the aggression that he played with. So, a name to be considered, I reckon. Yeah, that's that's a very good call. If he was in the time of T20, I'm sure we would have seen some some great games from him. Yeah, AB with the with the T20, his IPL stats, I think, are actually better than Coley's. Um, but then on the international stage, not, not quite as good. So interesting there. Now onto our question from this week. Well, sorry, not our question. Our, our big call um, this week comes from Aram Zafar, uh, one of the superstars of, of, of Melbourne high cricket. So um, yeah, we, we've got to take note um, of what he's saying. Um, and he said that Maxwell should be in the test squad. Uh, and I, I don't think he can be in the test squad for Pakistan, I think, because he's away. But, you know, just in general, should he be recalled to the test team? A lot of people have been calling for this. Uh, anyone want to make a statement on this? I'll dive in. Um, a year ago, I would have said potentially. Right now, I would say no. I think the open spots a year ago were that five and six position in that test batting lineup. And I think had you gone to Asia with those two positions still up in the air, there would have been a reasonable shout to get Maxwell into the side. But we've now seen the resurgence of Travis Head, who has, of course, is coming off the back of a player of the series effort. We've seen Cam Green as the next bright young all-rounder in not just Australian, but world cricket. And of course, if necessary, they have a backup who's driven himself quite worthy in Usman Khawaja. 
who could always, assuming he is actually going to continue opening, can always shuffle down the order. I don't think Maxwell would do badly. I do think he's a little overrated. I think his consistency isn't at the level that people like to claim it is. And I think the fact he's played one, I think this will be his first Red Bull game in 893 days, I think I read on yeah, Australia. Since, since October 2019, so that's a long time. Exactly. So I, I, I think it may well go in a similar direction had they picked him to other players who haven't really played Red Bull cricket, like a Jason Roy. I don't think Maxwell exactly is famous in white ball cricket for his correct, at least technically correct, cricketing shots. So I think with what is now quite a strong Australian middle order and his lack of a track record in Red Bull cricket, at least over recent history, I don't think he merits a spot in the side. If he goes away with Victoria and pummels, runs for them for the remainder of the season, sure. But if that doesn't happen, then I don't see why there's any need to pick him. Don't change a team that's winning. Mm. You are. Yeah, it's the lack of Red Bull performances that you yeah. know, got to hurt him. He averaged 36 with the high score of 154, as we know, in the BBL. Um, but do you guys agree that probably not not at this time? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, he is one of the only Australian sort of players of the test century in Asia. Um, but I think yeah. Mitch Marsh is already in the squad and he'll be sort of holding the backup role for that 5-6 spot. Um, I, I think many people are excited to see him play test cricket after his um, Aussie game and, and the form he's been in. Um, good player of spin as well was a shining light on that Bangladesh T20 tour. Um, so I guess if Maxwell was, you know, somehow like a, an opener, I think Marcus Harris' spot in the squad is the only one that's in real jeopardy. And we probably don't need two backups in the um, number five, six role because, you know, Marsh's bowling will be handy with Cam Green's sort of fitness restrictions. Um, and yeah, if we do go over two pace um, and two frontline pace balls and two spinners, then um, yeah, people have been talking about Mitch Marsh's overs already. So um, preferably, I think a, a backup opener over Harris is, is the big vacancy um, that remains. Mm, yeah, I think so. And just quickly on that, you speak about that performance in the subcontinent. I think you've everyone's got to say that the fact that Maxwell hasn't played a test in Australia um, he's got to count as you know fairly unlucky and that with all the all the absolute rubbish players that have played tests for Australia in the last few years you know the Nick Maddinson, Rob Quiney, these types um, the fact that he hasn't played a test in Australia he can count himself quite unlucky there. Um, Navad are you going to be the one to to uh, to speak it against to go against the flow here? Uh, no, definitely not. I think uh, what the others have said is, is pretty accurate. Um, I feel like he's sort of, um, at least since 2019, since he last played his Red Bull game, he's sort of become a, well, he sort of should become what a Joss Butler is, just a white ball specialist. Um, you know, he's not really, yeah, as Pearson, I think, mentioned, he's not really technically accurate. He's more of just a strong, really powerful hitter of the ball. And obviously that's very much suited to the white ball game. So um, 100% agree with Ethan and Pearson there. Yeah. There, there is a reason that he bats seven in ODI cricket. If he were a test match batsman, he would be batting higher than seven in one day cricket. Mm. His best format's not even ODIs. His best format is yeah. 20. For a good yeah. innings is 20 balls and 40 runs. I don't think it's as convertible as Iran would like it to be. Yeah. And I think maybe now that a bit of time has passed since his last test match, we might be kind of thinking he was better than he actually was, despite, you know, how good that, that century was. The only other thing is maybe handy to have another spinner um, that he provides in, in Asia, but I'm not sure how great his off spin is going to be in a test match, really. So probably can, <laughs> can disregard the potential for that. Anyway, thank you, Iram, uh, for that call. And, uh, yeah, hoping to get to many more the next week. But now... It's time to move on to what's caught your attention. Um, we'll start with you, Ethan. Uh, what have you been following this week? Uh, a couple of things. Um, Navad mentioned it before, but uh, Winindu Hasaranga has, has slipped off the number one T20 bowler spot. Somehow, <laughs> despite only playing a couple of games and, and doing decently, he's now in fourth and he's 54 points behind to 
raise Shanzi in, in first. Um, it's now interesting looking at those rankings. Um, we've got Tavrez Shamsi first, Adil Rashid third, and Adam Zampa fifth, none of which are playing IPL. Um, Josh Hazelwood is the highest-ranked pace bowler, and he's at number two now. Um, so no one really knows how these rankings work, but that's how they sit at the minute. Ted mentioned Glenn Maxwell's bowling. He's now the number four T20 all-rounder um, above Liam Livingston. So... <laughs> That's, that's Livingston always is interesting a to see. As well. <laughs> Some great names. And, and Hatharanga's down at, at, at seven. Oh, wow. So that's that's yeah, what the rankings okay. stand at the minute. Perhaps the more important news is that Australia have released their white ball squad uh, for their tour of Pakistan. That'll consist of three ODIs and one T20 because it's just the one T20. Um, they've gone for a more ODI-looking squad with the likes of uh, and um, Cam Green's in there as well. Um, but there's some notable omissions. Um, David Warner is missing. Glenn Maxwell and Matthew Wade also missing. And Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood are all being rested. I think Australia have said that um, despite the IPL running, they won't release them to play while Australia playing games. But none of the big three quicks will um, play that series as far as we know. So it gives an opportunity for people like um, Baron Doss, Kane Richardson, um, maybe even Nathan Ellis to, to come in and, and have a go. I think most what's most exciting is maybe Mitch Marsh possibly getting a go in the ODI setup. Um, we'll, we'll see how that stands out and maybe Ben McDermott up the order in David Warner's place as well. That, that should be interesting to watch um, and see how we go in, in Pakistan. Do you think we can win with that lineup? Well, I think we saw, like, with that subpar bowling attack, anyone can beat us. You know, Tranka got, got the wood over us in that, in that final T20. And I think the, the commentator said it well. It was about 30 needed off three overs. And it was like, oh, if we had Stark Cummins Hazelwood, we'd probably be, you know, 80 20 to win this. With the bowling attack we're playing, we're probably, you know, 40 60 um, to win. And, and I, I think it, it's similar there. You know, with a full strength squad, you probably think it's it's pretty even, maybe Australia just ahead. Um, but with the, the bowling sort of um, so hampered, I mean, it, it, it looks like the attack that England almost hit 500 against. And so I think Pakistan have got the big advantage, but possibly Australia can cause a few upsets. Mm. And Daniel Sams isn't in the squad, is he? No, no he's not in the That's squad. That's good. Good minutes. Anyway, um, Navad, what's caught your attention? Um, yeah, so the, um, the Bangladesh versus Afghanistan ODI, um, they're doing a series right now. So they actually, the second game starts. How did uh, I miss? How did I miss half. that game? A huge, oh, huge I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Massive game. Yeah, I know. Really uh, tipping the scales of cricket here. Um, but no, it was um, the reason why I say it, was, it caught my attention was Afghanistan. This is an ODI. They only hit 215. So you'd think a pretty easy chase for Bangladesh, right? But um, no, they, they lost uh, six wickets in quick succession. They were 45 for six. And, you know, you obviously think, okay, well, Afghanistan has somehow got the win, just, you know, defending 215. But um, uh, an amazing stand by, um, I'm going to pronounce these all wrong, but Mehdi Hassan Miraz and Afif Hussain, uh, 174 wicket uh, seventh stand. So that was um, fabulous batting. Uh, did not expect it at all because... Um, you know, when you're six down, you, you never expect someone to, a team to, you know, bounce back like that. But um, no, it's a very, very thrilling game there. So yeah, that's what caught my attention. No, very, very good. <laughs> I don't really have too much more to add on that one, but uh, it does sound it was, like it. It was an interesting, interesting, interesting scorecard there because I, I, I think I checked after about um, eight or 10 overs and, and the opening bowler, Basil Hak Faruqi, um, he took four wickets in, in the opening spell. Uh, Bangladesh were, were 28 to 5 and 7.4 overs. And when he had four wickets in the opening spell, I was really hoping he could go on and, and bag a seven or, a, or an eight day even. But uh, yeah, Bangladesh were able to play him after that. And he ended up with 10 overs, four for 54. Mm, well, yeah. let, let the opportunity slip there. Thank you for that, Novod. Um, and Pearson, uh, what have you been following this week? 
Well, this is admittedly right at the end of the week, but the interesting game occurring as we record this is the first day of the second test between New Zealand and South Africa being played at Hagley Oval in Christchurch. Admittedly, the Oval does have a reputation for quite high scoring matches. If my memory is correct, it is the ground in which New Zealand hit about 650 against England in 2019. And South Africa are exploiting the flatness of the wicket. And unlike last week in which they barely passed 100 in either innings, one they failed to and one they just surpassed it, they're on 195 for the loss of just one wicket here today. Uh, Saril Irwi, correct my pronunciation if it is wrong, which I suspect it might be, has reached his debut, has reached his maiden 100 in Test cricket and I believe his second Test match. It's been a very impressive knock. He's currently on 107 not out. He's being joined well by Dean Elgar, who hit 41 before being bowled by Tim Southey, which put on a 111 run opening partnership. And at three, at present at least, is Aidan Markram. There is pressure on Aidan Markram's spot in the side, as there have been a lot of comments regarding his lack of form. Of course, in his last 10 test innings, he averages only 9.7 which is quite a significant downfall from the bright prospect we saw back in the Sandpapergate series of 2018. So the fact he is now on 39 not out and could go on and hit a score could be enough to save his spot. With looking at the wider theme of this, the other thing to mention would be if Irwi can go on and hit a really match-defining score, be that 150, 200, it's somewhere around that mark, then that it looks to me at least that South Africa may have finally found a reasonably strong top seven, which is something that's plagued them for a while now. Of course, Elgar looks, he's probably the most consistent batsman. Irwi will be coming off 100 and in form. We can expect to see Keegan Peterson return in the next test series, who of course was their brightest prospect against India only a month ago. Uh, Aidan Markram, I'd expect to keep his spot, possibly dropping down to number four, which actually I think will suit him with his aggressive style of cricket. Particularly if he scores runs here, that will keep him in the side. And that gives you a five, six, and seven of Rassi Vanderdussen, Timber Bavuma, and the wicketkeeper, which at present is Kyle Verine, but I would expect to eventually swap to Rickleton because of Verine's lack of run scoring. So in theory, that could produce a side that's got a very, very solid top seven that can win a sizable amount of games. I don't think we'll be seeing much more of Wian Mulder, despite the fact he is playing this test match and batting seven. They've got two good spinners now in Harmer and Maharaj, and as has been quite well documented, they have one of the more dangerous pace attacks in world cricket. So despite their lack of balance with no all-rounder, if this day's play has shown anything, it's that South Africa have quite a strong future in test cricket, or at least that we hope they do. Good to hear. Um, Dewald Brevis doesn't get a look in anytime soon. I think he's played in his first class career four T20s. So no, he's 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 good, and he might be a big player in the future. Of course, he went for I think a massively overinflated sum of money at the IPL auction. I think he went for three crore, despite having only played four senior matches in his career. But maybe we'll see him further down the line. He can complement this side and add to it because of course Elgar and Erwi aren't young so a few young talents coming through like Brevis would not go amiss so I think they've got a bright future. Good to hear. Um, I've been looking at uh, the West Indies going winless in their whole tour of India quite a disappointing performance from them but a shining light well more a shining light for his IPL team Puran um, continuing to perform uh, and Virat Kohli uh, finally made a 50 um, in his second in the second last T20 I think so back in a bit of form hopefully there um, and they're playing against Sri Lanka now who have um, as you said earlier Navon made a very quick um, get away from Australia straight up there to another game no rest um, for the, the uh, but in in the first T20 there Ishan Kishan um, you know, finally made a pretty good, well, you know, hasn't played for that long, but made a good score of 89. Um, so, yeah, a lot of hope for him going forward. Uh, but the main thing that I was a bit disappointed to see this week, and, you know, it's not a huge uh, story, but uh, 
I heard that Zimbabwe um, were looking to play a test in Australia um, in September of this year. Uh, it would be the first time since 2003 when Matthew Hayden made his then um, world record 380 um, for Zimbabwe playing in Australia, but it was turned down um, by Cricket Australia. Uh, I think, you know, possibly understandably because we do have a lot of series now that we've postponed um, that we have to try and fit in somewhere. But I thought it would have been quite good to, you know, as a, you know, a great believer in the associate nations or, well, no, Zimbabwe's not. The countries are rising up the rankings and saving test cricket. Uh, it, it would be good, good to see, good to see Zimbabwe play, but yeah, unfortunately um, that won't be happening. Um, okay. I think we'll probably move on to our shield summary just now. Um, and Ethan Prabs is is licking his lips here because his 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 favourite uh, Tanvir Sanger had a fairly good game um, in his last Shield performance, um, getting three for fifty five in the first innings and one for seventy five in the second. This was in um, New South Wales, uh, seventy five run win against Tasmania. There, um, Ethan, uh, were you impressed with his performance in this game? Uh, look, it was, it was mixed emotions uh, across the, the whole game, really. The first innings, I thought um, it, it was unbelievable, really, the, the feeling uh, when I checked the <laughs> scorecard and saw that Tanvir Sang had been given 26 overs wow. out of New South Wales, 86. He's typically been someone they haven't really entrusted with a lot of overs. He doesn't really bowl. That's changed. more second or third change. But 26 overs, three wickets for 55, 2.12 economy. And he bowls with control for a leg spin. He's taking wickets and top order wickets this time, not just the tail. Um, so I was feeling really, really good. I was so excited. And uh, in, the, in the second innings, he, he took an early wicket. You know, he was looking good. Um, you know, I thought, oh, fourth innings of the test. This, this is another opportunity to, to grab a real big bag. Um, but he's, he's returned his worst ever, his worst ever first class figures of 25 overs, one for 75, which still isn't bad. Um, <laughs> And if you got one more wicket in there, it's excusable. The economy was three, which is actually the worst of any New South Wales bowler. Um, but overall, the, the match figures are fine. Um, it was a bit disappointing, though, because we really want some spinners that can take second innings wickets. Uh, I guess that's an area where Lyon struggles as well. Um, but if you look over it at Queensland, it's not much better there. Uh, Mitch Swepson returned innings figures of one for 94 in the first innings and none for 51 in the second innings. So I'll stick to my contention that uh, Mitch, Mitch Swepson will have a poor uh, Pakistan and Sri Lanka tour and hopefully Tanvir Sanger will be in the squad, if not in the starting 11 for, for India <laughs> next year. Wow. I'm going to hope. Can I respond that. to this? Because that yes, was, go ahead. There, there was some unusual comments in there. Um, well, <laughs> well, where, where to start? So he took one wicket in 150 balls in the fourth innings as a leg spinner, which is not something to commend. What, whatever you says, say, he'd taken, did worse. Yes, I accept Swepson did worse. It doesn't excuse a poor, poor fourth innings performance. But it was, I, a, I, it was I a lovely think, first innings performance. So, yes, so it evens out to be average. Job. You might, you've got to think here, what's he doing, at least in the short term, if he's playing for Australia? And it's going to be as a second spinner. And your second spinner isn't the person you need doing a holding role. It's the player you want alongside Lyon that can take wickets and particularly fourth innings wickets. And all we saw this time was a player who didn't take fourth innings wickets, who had a strike rate of 150 in the fourth innings of this match. I mean, the idea, as you put out before, that him taking two for 75 would have been excusable still is nothing special. A 75 strike rate for an attacking leg spinner who comes from white ball cricket in the final innings of a four-day game is not spectacular. I think he's a capable cricketer. I have no problem with him. I mean, I slightly do because I don't want him to be as good as <laughs> you make him out to be. But I do think you overrate him. I think he's what? How many first-class games is he up to now? Four total, something like that? Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's sufficient to really make an assessment on his calibre for the Australian test side. Maybe he'll churn out wickets next season. Maybe he won't. But for now, you've got to give some time for Swepson, even if he had a poor domestic game once. 
You've got to be. You've got to be. It was that he was leading wicket taker last season, the leading spin this is, wicket taker. This, this is this season where Tanvir Sangerson entrusted more overs than given a role on the side, and he, he's on his path to establishing himself as Australia's second best spinner. He oh, might wow. be on that path. He's not there yet. You need to support the players that are in your side. You need to get behind Swepson and hope he takes five for I genuinely think we're in a position where Ethan is hoping that Swepson fails so he can have this moral <laughs> high ground over Tanvir Sanger. It's a win-win. Swepson does well when we get some results away, or, or he doesn't, and that looks like a genius for lauding Tanvir Sanger months in advance. <laughs> I like your thinking. Yeah, yeah. but you're then relying on Tanvir Sanger doing well. But I, I, get, I get the reasoning. I think it's heavily flawed, but I get the reasoning. <laughs> Yeah, well, as you say, Pearson, time will tell on that. It's definitely not the first um, leg spinner that us Australians have, have jumped on board the bandwagon of. But, yes, come on, hopefully Tanvir will be good. The other um, good performance in that match came from Trent Copeland, um, who, I'll be honest, I thought had retired and moved up to commentary. But uh, he took four wickets in the second innings um, and basically won the game for New South Wales. So good performance by him. Um, and then in a couple of the other games, um, in Renshaw Watch, um, he made a good, a good 43. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just reading that back is not that impressive. Probably didn't deserve to be spoken about. But, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Renshaw. And batting at number three in that match also. So slowly making a move up the order to usurp uh, Joe Burns. Um, he needs to just retire, I think. Uh, but the hero of that match was Jack Clayton, um, who scored 109 runs on debut. Um, Pearson, I know you're a fan of Jack Clayton's performance. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, I didn't watch every ball of this innings, but any player that can come out on debut in, particularly in Shield cricket, or really any domestic red ball competition and score 100 is pretty impressive. I must admit, I've not done a great deal of research on him, so I couldn't tell you whether he's 21 or he's 30. My suspicion is he's had a few years of playing Premier cricket and isn't a particularly young player, but I could be wrong. But Queensland seem to be finding some good talent in their backup players that are entering the site. Of course, Truloff also had a couple good innings of his own right in previous games, and now they have Clayton coming in and scoring runs. The only issue they've got is this is probably the strongest, most established top six in Sheffield Shield cricket. So their ability to consistently get chances in the long term may well be limited. But under the assumption that you will have two, if not three of that top five always away on national team duty, it could be a good chance for Clayton to, at minimum, cement his spot in the side. Mm, yeah becoming a bit of a batting powerhouse um, Queensland cricket. And finally, from the Sheffield Shield, Scott Bottoms went wicketless, um, which was a bit disappointing. But Mad Dog Madison made a 48 as well to follow up his century in the first innings. Um, so making a bit of a, a push for potentially some kind of recall. Anyway, that um, wraps up that segment. And it's time to move on to the main topic for today. Um, which is why we've got Navod here um, to talk about Sri Lanka's performance uh, in the T20 series uh, against Australia. I, I think you were quite optimistic coming into the series that, you know, you would put up a bit of a fight. Um, you know, what it probably didn't go <laughs> quite as well um, as some would have hoped, but what was there that you liked um, and what was there that you didn't like about how the team um, performed? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the didn't likes because I like to end on a positive note. But um, definitely our batting is was pretty uh, lacklustre um, this series. Apart from really Nisanka and a, and a good knock from uh, Kusan Mendes in that last match, um, it was pretty lacklustre. No one really made any scores. Charit Asalanka I highlighted as a really positive um, player for, uh, before the series. But again, he, you know, he started off pretty well but then you know uh he always just seemed to fall after you know a few shots um he'd hit a nice six and the next ball he would be bowled or caught or something like that so uh didn't really uh get much momentum uh in this series um in terms of batting wise um but yeah onto the positives um obviously yeah Nisanka was a very 
consistent positive, I think, uh, for Sri Lanka in this series. Um, but our main positive is probably our bowling. Um, I thought our bowling was really good. Um, the pace bowlers seem to extract uh, the most out of the pitches. Um, a lot of bounces. Obviously, it's Australia, so the pitches are going to be bouncy. Um, our spin bowling was all right. It was it was in home games or in the UAE last uh, T20 tournament. Um, we definitely our spinners definitely extracted more from those pitches. I think. Um, especially, you know, our, our spinners like Deekshana and Hasaranga, they're not great spinners of the ball. They really need it, uh, the ball to skid on and sort of stay low. That's how they get their wickets mainly. And obviously, yeah, in Australia, you know, they, they chug it, it just bounces off the pitch um, and doesn't really skid on like that. So I think that's where they sort of struggled a bit. But, you know, having said that, they, they did quite well. I think Hasaranga, although he only played two games, he took five wickets uh, from those two games. So, yeah. Mm. You probably were quite unlucky with Hasaranga and Fernando both getting COVID also at different points. Um, but you do see the difference with the spinners to how Agar and Zampa bowl. It really is a different sort of, of spin bowling, isn't it, in Australia? Uh, and then finally, you said about Nasanka, he did play very well, 189 runs, um, the most of any batsman, I think, um, in the series and really nice batsman to watch also. Um, Pearson or Ethan, uh, do you agree with... Navod's assessment of where things went wrong there? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot like England, really. Like the, the bowling the bowling was was pretty good, uh, I think you'd say. Australia's scores were down. Um, I wasn't really impressed with Australia's batting for the most part. And really, if you look at sort of the, the leading run scorers, only two Australians have hit more than 100 runs in, in five games. Um, you know, both both the openers got what, 83 for McDermott and 78 for Finch. Um, and Sri Lanka bowled really well. I remember the game I was at um, at the MCG, I think. Sri Lanka probably had Australia three for 56 early on and actually looked like there was a game. Um, I think English was probably the, the tipping point in, in the sense that Sri Lanka bowled really well at the start. Um, at, at times, they, they were quite tidy and didn't let Australia get away at the end. Um, but, you know, sometimes they, they lost their way a little bit in the middle, um, particularly when um, people like Karen Ratner um, or Dustin Sharnika came on, just a couple of loose overs sort of lost the balance. Um, but I think if you look at the Sri Lankan side, you know, the bowling's a pretty good level. Um, then again, they just get they, they just got hit for 200 against India. But I think the batting is, is the main thing. You know, you're not going to win many T20s when you can't hit above 140. Uh, and yes, Hassan Nisanka looks good. Kusal Mendes, when he can run properly between the wickets, looks fine. Um, <laughs> but I, I think there are some real sort of question marks over, you know, the, number one, the reliability of their team, uh, probably the, the structure as well, uh, and, and also the sort of cricketing brains and situational awareness. Um, I think one, one game, Aslanka was batting really well. It may have been the final game. Um, and then... Yeah, you went went for a sweep and, and got bowled, and and the, the commentators were just uh, mentioning how much of a coach killer some of the sometimes some of the Sri Lankan batting is. So, um, you know they have some players, but I, I think it's just an incomplete batting unit at the minute, and um, that probably needs a little bit of tweaking before they can compete consistently with the bigger teams. Pearson, yeah, there's not too much to add. I mean, at its simplest level, it's a good team playing a not very good team. And the class divide meant it was always going to go one way. Because we saw this last year. England played Sri Lanka and beat them 5-0. Would have been 6-0 if not for a washout. And then, of course, it was 4-1 here with a weakened Australian side. So I think the key difference is just Australia is a better team. I think Sri Lanka at their best can be competitive. We saw that with the game that they won and the game they lost with a super over. But I think on the whole, there is just too big of a difference between the players. I think you'd struggle to fit any more than maybe one, possibly two of the Sri Lankan top seven into that Australian lineup. And I think that's the main difference is, yes, Australia didn't bat brilliantly. As Ethan says, no one scored big runs, two players past 100 in the five match series for them. But at the same time, you look at that Sri Lankan side and the players that are capable of being explosive didn't score the runs they needed to or were out with COVID like Barnaker. And the players that did score the runs did so at an incredibly insipid strike rate. Of course, we looked at some of the best knocks of the series did come from Pathum Nisanka, 
and even they came at a strike rate of less than 120. So I do think it actually in some ways highlights a trend, not just with Sri Lanka, but with a lot of those sort of second, third tier sides in world cricket. Uh, they seem to play for damage limitation. I've seen it a lot with, a bang with Bangladeshi sides. I've seen it often with Sri Lankan sides and you'll see it with others down there, not that are very, pretty much the exact opposite of how I want them to play. I'd like to see them come out and say, we could win, we might lose, we'll see what happens and actually go for it. Do what the Afghans do. The Afghans go out and seem to hit 200 in every T20 they play. It feels to me that Sri Lanka have a safety first style of T20 cricket at the minute, which is unfortunate because their bowling attack is actually quite solid. I think if they have if they could have an attacking game that actually came off that bit more often, they'd be quite a dangerous side in the future. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that safety first. But I, I think they just seem to not be able to adjust to the situation of the game that well. Um, you know, in the first few games, as compared to Australia, the big difference I noticed was you know, an inability to get the quick singles or, or even push them to twos. Um, and to sort of build up and put some pressure back on the bowling side that way. Um, you know, and then they would, in the early games, often play pretty stupid shots, like little lap, lap sweeps or, you know, ramp, ramp shots type, type of thing. So they would sort of either go really slow and then try and hit boundaries. There was no sort of good, consistent pace that they could develop. So it, it could come with, with experience. I guess there. Um, Navod, are there any other batsmen who, who weren't playing in these games, especially someone with a bit more firepower late in the innings um, who could give you a bit extra? Um, well, yeah, losing Hasaranga, I think, uh, to COVID yeah. sort of weakened uh, you know, uh, upper order uh, there because he is quite a capable, uh, he just has a good swing. He hit like a a nice 80 odd um, against Ireland. I mean, it's, I know it's Ireland, but still it was, it was quite a quality knock. You could tell from the shots, not many false shots. It was really nicely played. Um, so yeah, to COVID definitely weakened um, our batting. But other than that, I don't know, Gunathilika was there for the first few games. He was just really out of form. Um, so not really uh, pleased. Maybe uh, the Russian Dikula. He could have been in the side. I think uh, he is probably, and as a wicketkeeper as well, he's probably the best out of the three. So Chandimal, Gusal Mendes, and um, Dick Weller. Dick Weller is probably the best keeper batsman out of the three, I'd say. Um, but um, yeah, other, other than those two, uh, I don't think uh, many other batsmen could have come in. Avishka Fernando was there, I think, for the first two games, or first game at least. Um, but then again, just like um, Asalanka, he hit a six, a really good shot, and the next ball tried to probably replicate that and just went out. So, yeah, it's in terms of uh, adding reserves, it's not looking too great for Sri Lanka. Okay. And just quickly, before we move on to talking about Australia, um, there was some talk on the commentary uh, just sort of discussing the level of um, Sri Lanka's like first-class cricket um, and that being sort of a factor uh, it, what is the first-class competition like? Are there, you know, a lot of young players coming through, uh, being developed, or you know, does that need some work? Yeah, um, the first-class system, I think, um, at least back in the time of Sangakkara, uh, Jai Wardner, um, all the really top batsmen that we've had in the past, um, it definitely was really high quality, and those players have definitely said that. The first class system was probably where they developed the most as cricketers, um, uh, playing games uh, against you know all the different um, areas in Sri Lanka. Um, as for now, I'm not too sure. It might have dipped in quality, but uh, from what past players have said, they have said that it's the the best place um, in Sri Lanka to learn cricket. Perhaps maybe um, there could be a bit more development. Obviously, that was a, probably a little bit of a different uh, era of cricket. Um, but yeah, maybe it needs a bit more development, but yeah, I'm not too sure how it's uh, progressing at the moment. We do obviously sure. have the uh, Lanka Premier League for white ball. Um, that's quite young. It's quite new. I think it's in the second season. 
Um, and, you know, it's obviously not as high quality bowling or batting as, uh, you know, Australia. So, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, now, um, there are probably, even though we had just won the 2020 World Cup, there were probably almost just as many questions um, for Australia also, probably the big one being whether our, our top order could consistently deliver. Um, and as we've already sort of alluded to, it wasn't too much to suggest that it could in the future. Would you agree with that, Ethan? Yeah, I, I think if you're looking at sort of the series about 4-1, you say, okay, that, that, that's pretty good. But having watched Australia's batting, I think you'd, you'd say that's probably been a disappointment. Um, there's not a lot of pluses from that series and there's quite a lot of question marks, the biggest of which is Aaron Finch at the top of the order. Um, I feel like it, it happens for most World Cups that one of our openers has a questionable run of form and, and we debate playing versus not playing. And we, we end up playing and, and it's worked most of the time, you'd say. I think even before last T20 World Cup, um, Finch's form was questionable, but Warner's was just so much worse that he got all the spotlight. And Finch didn't really have a, a good World Cup at all. Um, the issue now is that both openers are 35 and you're wondering at what stage are, are they past it? Um, so I, I think we'll, we'll keep playing Finch, um, but it is possible that um, he is actually past it and, and won't actually recover. Um, that being said, he, he is the captain and he plays an important tactical role, which is extra incentive not, not to drop him. I think McDermott was, was underwhelming. Another big bash player, he'd say, has hit the biggest heights in the big batch and sort of failed to transition to that international level. Um, but I think if you're Australia, the shining light has been Josh Inglis. Um, he was Australia's leading run scorer. He played with intent. He's got shots and he, and he fit really well into that middle order role, um, batting four or five most games. Um, and, and he pretty much delivered most of the time. He was, he was the rescue man um, in, in the majority of those games. And, I think that's almost a bigger positive than if McDermott hit, had a great series because just looking at this T20 World Cup, he is sort of the answer to the Steve Smith question. Um, if we wanted to, we can play Finch and Warner up the top, Mitch Marsh three, Inglis four, and then Maxwell Stoinis, Wade. And to me, that is a very, very strong lineup that can compete. Um, previously with Steve Smith in the side, uh, I think Steve Smith is always sort of vulnerability so um, I'm just like to say okay this has been an outstanding series we can't drop English he'll take that middle order spot Steve Smith hasn't been great he, we, we showed you know the first couple of games he's not really a fit to the side um, you can take him out hopefully give him some red ball games um, and you know with that that three to seven of you know Marsh Inglis uh, Maxwell Stoinis and Wade I think is the best three to seven in the world it, it is uh, contentious call, but in my opinion, that, that that's what gives me hope. You know, the openers, as we mentioned, uh, aren't in great form, although Dave Warner did get player of the tournament last year, 20 World Cup, but it's a three to seven, I think, that can um, hopefully win us this next World Cup. Mm, I agree. That's a, a pretty good lineup, but I'm thinking Pearson probably disagrees. <laughs> what what should our lineup well, be, do you think, Pearson? I, I don't, nothing. In terms of names, there's nothing there that I dispute. I think the three to seven lists with English at four is probably the way to go. I think you will go Smith. I don't think you should, but I think you will. I think you are let down by your own list. So there's technical issues, but we'll work around them for the moment. No, I, I don't think it's a bad side. I think it is a bowling side primarily. I think that bowling attack is honestly stronger than its batting lineup. I think it still is punishable. Of course, we've seen quite consistently when Samba has an off day, it does reflect badly on the whole team. We saw this against England. I'm going to use England as an example again. When we dominated him, it became very difficult for Australia to come back. So I think there is quite a heavy reliance on their three to seven. If they could find two world-class openers, which maybe they will at some stage, I think they will eventually become that top side that they want to be. But for now, they're, they're good, but not great. Probably fair enough. Um, and Ashton Agar, do you think there's a spot in the side for him? Um, 
probably not as the opener from from what we saw in the two attempts that he had there. But you know, his bowling performances uh, were very uh, impressive, picking up three wickets and I think only three matches. Uh, and I think no boundaries being hit off him, or at least for a lot of his overs, um, that was the case. Ethan, do you think we can fit him in somewhere? It always seems to be the question. Um, it, it's a hard one to say, really. I think it would require a really bold call to get him in, and I'm not sure Australia's willing to make the call. Um, I think, personally, his batting isn't good enough in T20s. I think we, we see him as an all-rounder, but um, I, I don't think he really should play in the top seven. If we do go down the, the Smith route over Inglis, which I'd be extremely disappointed in, um, I, I can see the merit in just playing a, an extended tail with Agar 7, but that was what we opted against last World Cup. So it would surprise me if we went back to that. Um, personally, I, I don't think he'll play because the only way I can see him getting entry into the side is probably at number eight, playing over a Pat Cummins and... You know, with, with the money Pat Cummins goes for in the IPL with his status in Australian cricket, I, I think it would be too big of a call to drop him, you know, in Australian conditions, despite Agar being so impressive. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll stick with our three quicks and, and Zampa approach. And unfortunately, there's, there's not really room in the top seven for someone who's, who's batting is as weak in T20s as Agar. Mm, yeah, you just stay as the... Super backup um, that he's been. Okay, well, I think that wraps up um, most of the things to discuss from that series. Uh, and now, yes, Sri Lanka coming with a test series up against India. Um, do you have hopes for that one, Navod? Um, for the podcast, I'll say yes, but yeah, in reality, <laughs> probably no. <laughs> um, look, we have Dimuth Karnaratna coming off some really good form last year. Um, he was just excellent. I think average of 60 or something last year. Um, he was just really, really good last year. Um, and uh, yeah, we have um, Dunn and Jada Silva as well, another capable batsman uh, in our test side. Our test side isn't too bad. Um, we've got some good spin options as well. But then again, India is India. Like you've got such uh, good batsmen like KL Rahul, uh, Maybe Coley will get his first time in however many years against us. Um, <laughs> who knows? It, it's it's such a like Shubman Gill as well. I think is there. Uh, Richard Pant. Uh, there's so many good batsmen there, and um, I just think yeah, Sri Lanka will probably struggle uh, against uh, India in these series. But you know, never say never. So we'll hold out hope. Yeah, yeah. There's always hope. That's right. Well. Thank you guys for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Yes. Yeah. Very good. And thank you all the all for listening. Um, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.